Well, Chippy the parakeet never quite saw what was coming to him. One second he was peacefully singing along in his cage, and the next thing you knew he was sucked up and washed out and blown over. It all started when his owner was cleaning out the cage and decided to use the nozzle of a vacuum cleaner to, to stick that in and, and vacuum up the seeds that are along the bottom of the cage and all the other stuff that's down there. And the phone rings and the owner instinctively turns and sucks Chippy up into the vacuum cleaner. And, and in a panic, the owner rips open the vacuum cleaner and digs around for this bird and, and finds the bird and is, is alive but stunned <laughs> and, and covered in dust and soot. And so the owner takes the bird into the bathroom and turns on the bathtub and, and runs the bird underneath this bathtub and instinctively trying to get all this dirt off and then pulls the poor bird out who's now shivering and more stunned and takes the blow dryer and, and, and dries this bird. And the bird goes back into the cage. And Chippy doesn't sing so much anymore. Poor Chippy was washed up and, and blown over, never saw it coming. How many of us can relate to Chippy? Where we get into a situation we, where we are just sucked in and washed up and blown over. We get into a situation where where we lose a job or an illness strikes or divorce papers are issued or the police show up to the door, and we don't quite sing like we used to sing. We all face those kind of things. We go through those different things in our different seasons of life. We can relate to Chippy. And for those of, of you who are here for the first time or have been gone for a few weeks, we are a few weeks into this new series called The Story. And in this, we're looking at all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, looking through highlights of these stories and, and how they apply to our lives. And so this week, we're in chapter 3, and we're looking at the story of Joseph. Hopefully, you've been able to read in preparation for this morning. We'll give you a high-level, quick view of the story as well. If you don't have one of these, please pick one up on your way out in the foyer. We'd love for you to take one of these as our gift to you. But chapter 3 is, is a story that is pulling from Genesis chapter 37 through 50. It's the story of Joseph. And, and Genesis spends more time on the story of Joseph than any other character in all of Genesis. And so Joseph gets a lot of airtime. This, this is an important story. It's, it's something that, that we need to spend some, some time on. Joseph, unlike most of the characters that we see in Genesis, is relatively functional. He's not a complete screw-up. He's not a mess. He's a pretty good guy. But he's in this family that's pretty screwed up. He is in the midst of this very dysfunctional family. He's got a father named Jacob, who's the patriarch, who has a very sketchy background in and of himself. 
We've got the oldest brother who was caught sleeping with his brother's mother. And the next two brothers, Simon and Levi, had fallen from the grace of his father because they went and convinced an entire town of men to circumcise themselves and then went in and killed them while they were recovering from that surgery. This is the family that Joseph is a part of. The fourth son crafted a plan to sell off Joseph as a slave for a little bit of cash. We've got quite a dysfunctional group here. Our story opens with Jacob living in Canaan, a corrupt and evil land that did not follow the God of Abraham. And Jacob's grandfather, or the God of Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. Joseph is Jacob's 11th son and is obviously the favorite from the fancy coat that he gets and the fact that he doesn't have to go to work when the rest of his brothers are out tending the sheep. And so one day Jacob tells Joseph to go check on his brothers, and Joseph goes the 50 miles to get to the destination to check on them. And they're not there, and so word of mouth says that they're 14 miles another direction, and so he continues on that journey for another 14 miles. Now 64 miles into this journey to check on his brothers. He's not just looking out the back window here. But the brothers, they see him coming, and they don't like the fact that he's coming, and they don't really like this guy Joseph because he's been having some weird dreams. And he's having these dreams where the brothers are bowing down to Joseph. Now, Joseph is the 11th son. The chances of him inheriting anything from his father is slim. The fact that they would be bowing down to him is, is a reality that would never exist. And so these brothers see him coming along the way. And they start to make a plan. They don't like this brother, and so they're going to get rid of this brother. They throw him into a pit, and they're going to sell him off. That was the second plan that was better than killing him. And so Joseph is sold off to these distant cousins, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, and he finds himself a slave in Potiphar's house. And so he must have done a really good job because he's elevated and elevated and becomes the administrator of the entire household. He's trusted by his master and he works there. But the, the lady of the house continually makes advances at him. And when he continues to deny those advances, the woman of the house gets upset. And so he is falsely accused of attempting rape on Potiphar's wife and now he's thrown into prison. And while in prison, he interprets these dreams, and eventually he finds himself in front of Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And Joseph, in his great wisdom and his great skill set, he comes in and becomes elevated to the point of deputy to Pharaoh. He is only, he's second only to Pharaoh. He is now king of the land. He is the administrator that is going to rescue Egypt from this great famine. And to the point where Jacob, where Jacob has to send his sons to go get food for their starving family. And now Joseph, the son who was sold into slavery, is reunited with these brothers, and he's faced with these brothers and faced with this decision to forgive. And he forgives them. And the whole clan moves to Egypt. And before Jacob dies, he blesses his sons. And the sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And so this is our story of Joseph. There's, there's lots going on here. There's, there's pieces of Sunday school lessons that we've been a part of from, from early childhood as we know the dreams of Joseph and we know the story of Joseph's rise to power. But as grown-ups, as we look at the story of Joseph, there are so many lessons that we learn from him, things that we can observe about Joseph and things that we can observe about God. The first is this, being blessed is not exemption from adversity. Joseph was incredibly blessed. He was good-looking. He had this, this great, rich family. He was the favorite of his father. Joseph is blessed. He's got a good life going for him. But just because he's blessed doesn't mean that there's not adversity that comes along the way. Over and over, Joseph suffers tremendous adversity at the hands of others. We have a tendency to look at people who are blessed and assume that they have nothing wrong. This is the Facebook phenomenon, right? Where we look at a person's feed and we see all the great things that are going, all the smiling faces at the balloon fiesta. Things are great, except for today when the balloons don't go up. And everybody's happy, and you only see a little snippet of the reality of their lives. Oh, they are so blessed. They have healthy kids. They've got a great marriage. They have a new house. They've got a new job. Everything's going for them. Oh, man, why do they have it so good? And we only get that little snippet of what we see. We don't get the backstory of the realities of their lives. And so just because we see a person who is blessed does not mean that there is not adversity in their lives. And on the flip side of that, we see people who are facing tremendous adversity and we're at a loss of what to say. We see people who are, are suffering great loss, great illness, great hurt, great trials, and we, and we look at them and wonder, are they blessed? We don't want to be the one that says, oh, just see the blessing in it. When you're in the midst of that pain and you're in the midst of that suffering, that's the last thing you want your brothers and sisters to tell you. To say, oh, see the blessing in it. But these two are not mutually exclusive. You can have a blessed life while facing adversity. You can be in the midst of trials and be blessed by God. The two can be reconciled. You can have both. One does not mean you lack the other. One of our biggest challenges is to, to not overlook the blessings that we see ourselves in. We can get so focused on the trials, so focused on the bank account, so focused on the job, so focused on the headache with kids. And then we lose sight of the blessings that we have. We have to see the blessings and the things that God gives us. The second thing that we see in the story of Joseph is the evidence of our circumstances do not always reveal the presence of God. The evidence of our circumstances, our, our circumstances that we are in, that all provides evidence of something. But if it's a bad something, that does not mean it's evidence that God's not there. There are times when we feel like God is absent. There are times where we feel like he's not listening. We feel like he has gone, that he has abandoned us. 
But just because we find ourselves in adverse circumstances does not mean that God is not present. He is there. He is engaged. We just don't always hear. We don't always listen. We don't always see. Throughout Joseph's life, he's faced with setbacks. He finds himself in pits and prisons. But those circumstances are not evidence that God was not present. Over and over in the story of Joseph, we see this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in prison. The Lord was with Joseph in the pit. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with us, even when we can't see him, when we don't hear him, when we don't feel his presence. So the the adverse circumstances that we find ourselves in is not evidence that God is not presence. The third observation is is God can use you for his purposes, even in the worst of circumstances. He can use you, even when things are not going well, even when you are facing those trials. God can use that. Joseph is sold into slavery, and he ends up a slave in Potiphar's house, and this is what we see about that. The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendants. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he had owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So even though Joseph finds himself in this pit and he finds himself hauled off into slavery and he finds himself in this house of Potiphar's as a slave, he's still being used by God to bless others. The household is being blessed by Joseph's adversity. By the bad circumstances that Joseph finds himself in, the household is blessed. The story continues later on when Joseph is falsely accused of rape. It says this, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Here, Joseph is in prison, and Joseph, he's a prisoner. And he's in charge of stuff. He's running the place as a prisoner. God blesses Joseph in the midst of being in prison and uses Joseph to bless others. He he goes on to interpret dreams, and, and he is doing good in the circumstances that he finds himself in. Because God was being with Joseph, Joseph eventually wound up in the position of, of second in command with Pharaoh. And in that position, he didn't do a little bit of good. He did a whole lot of good. He saved entire countries from famine and starvation because God was working through him in his adversity. The fourth observation is this. Being obedient 
is not always rewarded. Remember last week we looked at Abraham and and realized that that we are not in a contractual relationship with God. If you do this good thing, if you follow what God says, then you will be rewarded. We see in the story of Joseph someone who was obedient, who over and over and over again did the right thing. He made the right choice. He was obedient to God and he was not rewarded. And so we look at others and say, well, they have a really lousy situation. They must not be following God. You can't point to Joseph and see something like that. You can't put the blame on us, the the adversity that we face, the trials, the circumstances. You cannot say, well, it's because they were not obedient to God. But on the flip side, we do not pursue obedience of God for the sake of a reward. We don't obey God looking to get something out of it. We don't follow him in hopes that he will pay us off in some way. Obedience to God is not an investment. We obey God because of who he is, because he is our father. And because of that, we obey. The fifth lesson here is suffering and adversity is not a case. Suffering and adversity is not a case against the goodness of God. Oftentimes, we look at adversity and we say, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? So if bad things are happening, there must be a case that God is not good. And we get stuck in that. We look at the world around us. We look at at the trials. We look at the circumstances. We look at the abuse. We look at the heartache. We look at the hurt. We look at the famine. We look at the wars, and we wonder, how could a good God allow those things to happen? It's challenging for us to look at suffering and adversity and not think about this goodness of God. But we look at Joseph, and we see in him an example of of terrible things happening, things that we would not wish on anything, anyone. And we see Joseph going through imprisonment and slavery and abuse and false accusation, and we don't look at that and say, well, God is not good. Because the circumstances that we find ourselves are not a case against the goodness of God. God is still good. God is working to save his people. And that may mean spending some time in pits and prisons. Because God is working to save his people. Joseph's final words of forgiveness to his brothers were this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Joseph went through all this, but God was working to save many lives. And we see through his life a purpose and a mission. Timothy Keller writes this in The Reason for God, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have, at the same moment, a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you cannot know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. So Timothy Keller has these really long sentences. If you've got a God 
big enough and transcendent enough to be mad at him because bad things are happening. You have to have a God who is great enough and transcendent enough to have good enough reasons that you don't understand. We don't have to explain that for God. We do not have to explain war. We do not have to explain sickness. We do not have to explain death. Because we've got a God who's big enough and transcendent enough to have answers for that that our little brains cannot even comprehend. And so the circumstances we find ourselves in are not evidence that there is not a God or a good God. Joseph, in his story, challenges the idea of pain and suffering. All right, so what? So, so what is the application? So as we continue to go at, and journey in this Christian walk together, we're asking this question every week. And as, as we approach God and listen to God, we're asking this question, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to me? And those are some observations of things that I think God is saying to us through the story of Joseph. But as we look at what God is saying to us, we also have this question of what are we going to do about it? What's different about our lives? What do we apply to our lives as we learn these lessons? And so I want to give us a couple of so what's. What do we apply to our lives? The first one is this. Be faithful to God today and leave the big, the big picture to him. Okay, so this one is to me. If none of you are wrestling with this, you can just listen to my own lament for a bit. But be faithful to God today and leave the big picture to him. As a, as a moment of confession, I have to tell you that most of my Sunday afternoons are spent trying to figure out how to do what I just preached. So I spend all Sunday afternoon thinking about the points that I've made here for you, and then I'm attacked on that, and I start questioning that, and I struggle with that. So last Sunday afternoon was really rough for me because I was teaching about Abraham and trusting the provider instead of the provision, and I wrestle with that all afternoon, trusting in the provider. And so this is for me as much as it is for you, to be faithful to God today. It is about today. It is about the choices that I make in this moment. It's about the choices that I make in the next hour. It's about the choices that I make throughout today. And if I am faithful in those things, then today is a good day. And the big picture is left to God. The big picture is left to him because he's the one in control. He's got it figured out. He knows where this thing is headed. But I'm a big picture guy. I like to know all the answers. I want to have all the facts. I want to know the path that we're on. I want answers to that. And so this drives me crazy. Because I want to know what God is up to, and I don't always know. And so we are called not to know the big picture. We're not called to know what God knows. We're called to be obedient to what we already know. We know what we're supposed to be doing today. We know the steps that we're supposed to be taking. And we pursue God today. Joseph does this so well. He's faithful in the immediate things. He's faithful in doing what God has called him to do in that moment, in that pit, in that prison. God, Joseph does what God calls him to do. 
and allows the big picture to be controlled by God. Whatever your external circumstances, whatever adversity you face, the illness, the bank account, the sum of bad luck that you've faced, the real battle takes place inside of us. The adversity that you face is not the real battle. The battle is what is inside of us, answering the question, will we trust God? Will we trust him? Will we trust him to know the big picture even when we're blinded to it? Will we trust him to be the good and faithful God that blesses others that he claims to be? Do we trust him to be who he says he is? And that's what faith is. As we step out each day, we take those steps and say, I'm going to trust God and believe that he is who he says he is. A second takeaway for us is our adversities and our blessings are not just for us, but they're for blessing others through us. It's not just about you. It's not about the things that you're going through. It's not about the things that you're struggling through. It's not about your circumstances. Those things can be used as blessings for others. God can bless others through your story, through your crisis of marriage, through your challenges of faith, through your unemployment, through your unfaithfulness, through your brokenness, others can be blessed through that. And so we don't keep those things to ourselves. Our blessings and our adversities are not just about us. They're also about God blessing others through us. And we have to be willing to be used to do those things. I don't know how many of you remember the story of, of Bethany Hamilton. There was a movie a while back called Soul Surfer that told her story of losing her left arm in a shark attack while she's surfing. And so she loses this arm as a 17-year-old and has to face life. Oh, actually, it was a 14-year-old. As a 14-year-old, she loses this arm, and she has to now face life with one arm. And as a 21-year-old, she says this. I've had the chance to embrace more people with one arm than I ever did with two. I had the chance to embrace more people with one arm than I ever did with two. Here is someone who takes adversity and does something with it, is a blessing to others, is an inspiration to others, takes what could be something where she just goes and hides and feels sorry for herself and pities herself and just sinks into a low. Or she can take that adversity and do something with it. She uses that and is a blessing to others through that. Joseph goes through tremendous adversity, and he could have given up at any point along the way. As he's in that pit on that very first day where his brothers throw him in, woe is me, this is sad, this is pitiful, I'm just going to feel sorry for myself. He gets into a place where he's a slave, and he does something with it. He goes into a prison, and he does something with it. God blesses others through his tough life. He blesses others through his adversity. Philip Yancey says, Through his trials, Joseph learned to trust. Not that God would prevent hardship, but that he would redeem even the hardship. 
Choking back tears, Joseph tried to explain his faith to his murderous brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God takes our hardships, and he does something with it. He redeems that and blesses others. I know there's some pretty pretty bad stuff that's happened in this room. Stuff that is happening in this room. Things that we're going through, trials that we're facing, circumstances that we find ourselves, adversity that we have to face. When we've been thrown into pit, when we've been falsely accused, when we've been imprisoned in some way, what are we going to do with it? While painful, God wants to do something redemptive through that. He wants to take that and bring blessing to others. And so look at your own life and say, what has God done to redeem this? And it may be that he hasn't done anything with it yet. It may be that you can point to so many things that he has done. It may be that you aren't done with God yet. And he is waiting for you to come alongside with him and use that pain, use that suffering, use that brokenness to be a blessing to others. Let's be standing together. Genesis ends with Joseph, a Jew, feeding the world grain and saving it from famine. He saves the world through the feeding through Joseph. And the line of Abraham does not stop there. It's preserved through Joseph's adversity. Through Joseph, the line of Abraham continues. And one day his descendants continue to bless. His descendants would bring a Jew who would come to be known as the bread of life. The bread of life that feeds the world of a spiritual famine. And in the same way Joseph was used through great adversity, Jesus comes to save us facing great adversity, experiencing the greatest pain of all. And he would suffer for the sake of others, for the blessing of others. We want to spend some time in prayer together this morning. As we we look at the life of Joseph and find ourselves in this story and think about how it applies to us, we want to pray together and encourage one another and challenge one another. And so the shepherds are going to be down front and in the, in the back. They would love to pray with you and for you. You can pray with one another. Be, be free to move around and pray with each other. But this is a time for us to, to maybe lift up an adversity that we find ourselves in. Maybe it's time for us to celebrate how God has used an adversity. And we want to, we want to give God glory and thanks for the way he's redeemed those things. Uh, Maybe we're finding ourselves in a pit and we need to figure out how to let God get us out of that. However we can pray with you and for you, let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you so much for for all that you have done for us. God, it is challenging to look at adversity and find the blessing in that. 
And so, God, help us to see that. Help us to know and feel you and, and, and sense your presence in the midst of our circumstances. God, we give these circumstances to you knowing that you are at work, knowing that you have something for others through us. And we pray together now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.